they are thinking of that through the lens of, and here's my cool game idea that I'm going to go, it's, it's so amazing, I'm gonna convince investors it's amazing, and then I'm gonna, go, we're gonna go build it. I've got some folks around me, thank you investors for, for backing us. Yeah. What's wrong with that assumption? Like my LinkedIn DMs are full of pitches from people, specifically from that angle. What are the things that matter most when building a video game startup from scratch? There are a ton of game startups out there. Most will fail, some will succeed. In this episode, we'll talk with Joachim, an expert in startups, venture capital funding, and game studio leadership, and author of The Long-Term Game. He'll walk you through what maximizes your chances of successfully starting a game company. This episode will help you understand what the foundations of an effective game studio are, as well as the structural do's and don'ts that help founders have the biggest impact possible on their studios today. Welcome back, everybody, to Building Better Games. I'm really excited about this one today because we have one of the masters of running new game startups and building new games. It has a very strategic point of view on all these things. His name is Joachim Achren. And I'm, I'm sorry if I, I screw that up with my uh, very thick American accent, but uh, I want to take an honest shot at it. So thanks for joining us, Joachim. Hey, thanks a lot, man. This is really cool to be on the pod. Excellent. So what we're going to cover today are all of hopefully a kind of high level overview of the skills, components, ingredients of the magical soup that results in the building of new game companies and new game products. Because uh, Joachim's got a lot of awesome high-level perspective on that. And over the course of all the podcasts we've done, we've taken small pieces of these things around leadership and process and product and dug into these meaty topics. But one of the things we haven't got to do as much is look at things high-level. And that's where I think we're going to get an interesting perspective today. Like, what are the big meaty ingredients of the soup of like a successful game startup that you've sort of explored over the course of your career? It's a really good question. Relationships between the co-founders, right? I think that like I see a lot of founders actually putting together co-founding teams quite quickly, but actually the benefit of taking your time and figuring out what the team should be pays off really well. Bringing in sort of the right caliber, ambition level. If you're a team who left a game studio like experienced, you're experienced in making games, free to play, whatever, you have success from a studio and you're founding your own studio now, it's good to kind of look into like, hey, can we actually build something big here? There was something you'd said around that idea of what type of company you're trying to build. Are you the person who wants to make the games or are you the one that wants to facilitate the making of the games? Yeah, I think that's the core what I see in a lot of startups is that it isn't binary for sure. Like there's, yeah, there is the the thing that okay, it's, if you're making games, you're not a part of building the company that much. But in an essence, it is that way. That at the early stage, you could bring on somebody who can do that heavy lifting and build that big company with you, together with you, mm-hmm. as a co-founder. But I think people don't think about it enough that they're really focused on like, hey, the dream is to have this game studio that's my own and I'm going to make games. 
but where does that go? Is your recommendation that if someone's out there, they're thinking, I've got a great idea for a game, I want to make this game, that will then shoot, I need to pick founders that can be those facilitators, that can be the people who build the company. Because if I'm going to be building the game, maybe I don't want to be the CEO or something like that. I want to be the creative leader, the design director or something like that. The funny thing is that the I haven't seen founding teams make the hit games in game studios. Usually it is third, fourth, fifth game that they make that finally starts working. Mm. And the founding team are building kind of that foundation in one way or another. Mm. They're maybe doing a game on their own as a team, but that should lead to that foundation allowing other people to join who then have a shot at making more possibilities for hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the foundation idea. On the sort of like creation of the founding team or like finding the right people, what are the most common misconceptions or mistakes that you see early stage founders make when they're constructing their teams? Too many similarities in the team composition and not a clear CEO. Those <laughs> those two are sort of ones. Tell us more about the not a clear CEO. What does that look like? I've seen... Like there's a tech person and an artist and both of them love making games and they can make beautiful games. They have like a beautiful prototype, but it, it is kind of obvious when you're looking at it that, okay, they're really good at making these kind of games, but who's going to be building the company when they're, they're setting up this stuff mm. as sort of their area of expertise. And the same goes for, for actually like seeing people who've not built like live service games where they don't have the experience of doing that and then they're pitching that they're going to do a live service game without the knowledge, the background and having anybody on the team with that experience. So I think that goes into also the realm of you have to have certain boxes ticked on the founding list. And I I think the CEO is, is the obvious one that you definitely need to check. And when you say CEO, like that means so many different things. I've seen that be somebody who's really product vision heavy. I've seen that be someone who's more operationally heavy. What are you actually talking about foundationally? In gaming, in game studios specifically, I think I wouldn't say like a product visionary CEO is not going to work, but I've seen more success coming out of CEOs who played a facilitator role where they're building a place where games get created and it's not sort of them who's trying to create those ideas for those games. Mm -hmm. That's what I've seen succeed. Mm -hmm. So they're sort of like building and holding this like functional business container where the sort of beautiful chaos can happen safely. Yeah. And for sure, like it's not always beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That's a part of the the CEO's job to make it as beautiful as possible. Mm -hmm. You also pinged the idea of a mistake is creating a founding team that it shares too many traits, like they're too similar to each other. Sure, yeah. Without obviously naming names and companies, like can you give an example of that and sort of what happened as a result of it? I think there was a lot of these kind of situations back in the day when free-to-play mobile started booming like 10 years ago Mm -hmm. when we had teams who came over from doing some other games like PC, console, to try out 
creating new niche genres in, in free-to-play, and they didn't have the complementary skill set of actually looking outside of their own knowledge space of what worked in PC console and what you could adapt to mobile. I think the same is now happening a bit with free-to-play people transitioning to Web3 and doing crypto-related gaming, where there's so many nuances over there which need to change when you're doing a free-to-play game, which you need to think about because you, you just can't rely on what only worked in free-to-play to actually build a business there. And I think that the complementary skill set for the founders should be that there's people who who are not just building the game they want, but what makes sense in the market, what they need to know about the current market. And uh, that's one of the ways to, to build a complementary skill set is to have those people who aren't sort of stuck from from doing 10 years of a certain kind of game. Okay, so there was almost like a just a narrow-mindedness. A, this is what a game is, and we're just going to hop over and build one of those, except it's going to be free-to-play mobile. Yeah, and I see that a lot, to be honest. So I think one of the coolest things I've read from you was actually when you talk about what you like to focus on as a and as an advisor. One of them was you said you like to spend time on issues that could turn into big ones. There's this proactive stance there that's implied. I think most leaders I see tend to like the reactive approach more because by the time you're reacting, the problem is clear enough to have clear solutions. And you're saying, no, if these two founders aren't getting along, for example, I'd like to talk about that today. I really wanted to ask you more about that and like what that journey has been like for you and how you landed on that being part of your philosophy. Like I've been doing investing for three years since I left Next Games and started Elite Game Developers, the, the newsletter and the podcast. And I've been spending basically every day I talk to like five on average different founding teams or team members or CEOs from different companies. The people that I like, you know, continuously catch up with, I was first feeling that it's more like an update. Hey, what's going on? And they're sending like email updates to their investors and they're pointing out that this is like the good things happened and these were the things that, you know, would have should have gone better. But then they're leaving out the things that, you know, make them show their vulnerability on like what are the, the the things that keep them up at night, what they're thinking about. Mm. Uh, they don't really want to write write about those necessarily to the investors because it's also about like showing that you're you know confident about what you're doing. You're doing the right things. We're not going to be failing here. I'm not failing. <laughs> and all, all sorts of those kind of imposter syndrome things start coming up. So this was like 2019 when I was talking to uh, James Quartzman, who now works at the uh, and Reason, the VC firm, he had like a venture-backed games engine, a back-end solution thing, mm. which he sold to Microsoft. And I had him on my podcast and he said, I asked about like how he got help from his board members. So he said that like Mitch Lasky from Benchmark was, in, was in, on his board and he said to James that, you know, when we have board meetings, I don't want to have an update. I'd rather like spend the whole meeting talking about the problems that you're facing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just you know just that because that already like creates a lot of 
removes a lot of baggage from the founder if they can start yeah. unpacking those things, like why there are issues, like going to first principles on what the issues are actually. So that's why I really love to focus on that stuff. Yeah. It's just like, what are the problems? So those, mm -hmm. like in gaming startup, there's hundreds of problems constantly going on, so. What's really cool is there's the idea that you're celebrating vulnerability. You're like, hey, we're going to create a space for vulnerability. We don't want the sort of advisor update or the investor update to be like a parade where everything's like scripted and it's just like, look at how awesome everything is. I'm sure you can scope that from a mile away when that's happening. Yeah. How do you keep an eye out for that? And what do you do when you see that? With venture-backed startups, I think one of the easy things is just, you know, ask how much money there's left. <laughs> so, <laughs> then you know, at a certain point, if it's not being talked about, that needs to be brought to the table when there's like, you know, six months. I think that's the point, the cutoff point where you want to talk about like, what's, what are we going to do about this situation? Mm -hmm. Like you don't want to end up in four, three, two months. Mm -hmm runway left so that's what i'm talking to a lot of people nowadays about especially with like mobile the idfa deprecation on mobile it's really hard like to do mobile marketing uh, a lot of mm. the mobile startups are trying to figure out like how they can actually like go to the next stage in this market climate and runway is sort of something that is not helping with many startups who every month they're trying to figure things out and it's still like cost per install on mobile is super high. So that's one area that's really I'm spending a lot of time on. Just to date this podcast, we're in August 2022 right now. And I have also observed that funding during the early parts of the pandemic, like Aaron and I were just shocked. It just seemed like someone opened up a faucet and suddenly all these game startups were getting funding and money and all these things. Yeah. And we've just hit, you know, like the formal definition of a recession in the in the US and and like the the sort of the economies around the world are struggling and suddenly that money started drying up. How's that been impacting sort of those conversations with founders, the talk of runway and the assumptions that they made perhaps going in? It's changed so much. Now raising that one or two million is what you would have raised like three to four million just six months ago. So mm -hmm. and it makes total sense. You want to secure just enough runway to get to that next stage and not worry too much about dilution specifically because like you'd rather make it more attractive for investors right now with a low valuation versus like a high valuation when then you need to raise again, and it's going to be super tricky in the next round if you already raised at a big valuation early on. That's sort of the recession fundraising format that valuations go down, but it's a good idea because then you can actually raise the next round inside the, the recession still, mm. and it's not going to be too pricey. So that that's what I'm seeing mostly. Other than that, like great teams, great companies, definitely getting funding. Mm -hmm. still yeah so the pre-seed and seed stage venture firms are are, are doing deals uh, so nothing's happening i think the on the exit side the mna ipo i think that's off the table a bit mm. but for the early stage it's anyways it's not going to be happening in like the next six months and exit so it's it's all good there 
Let's talk a little bit about the cultural side. When I hear culture discussed in the games industry, it tends to be pretty abstract in nature. Well, you have to have a good culture or something to that effect, and and but usually very lacking in specifics around like how you actually make that happen. And again, I love that you sort of cited uh, Lencioni on this and and. For example, the idea of just like really emphasizing things over and over and over and over again. Mm. I think a lot of a lot of game companies we've seen, they'll write like five things on the wall and then they'll glue it to the wall. And then that's kind of it. That's the end of the the values and culture conversation. What's the secret sauce, do you think, in the way that great leaders build culture early? It's so much to do about like being willing to, to spend a lot of time on that. Um, because it, it's kind of like doing like a sculpture in a way uh, where you're constantly putting in some small adjustments and tweaks and additions. You start off with the foundation where you have the founders, you figure out what are your values, what's sort of the purpose of why are we starting this game studio. So you can lean back towards those values and the purpose as you go on. And I think the the first dozen hires that you do will cement the culture. Of course, you can figure out, like, is that the right direction where the founders uh, envisioned the company to go? But as long as you're hiring based on the values, based on the purpose of the company, like that's that's really great. I think a lot of gaming studios struggle with the purpose and uh, the mission of the company because it's like, we do games because we love games. That's most of the time, the, the reason why people are in this industry. But there's there's a recent, like one company that I'm an investor in, I, I won't name any names right now, but they're still in quite stealth mode, but they spent a lot of time looking at uh, Simon Sinek, if you know him, who, who created this uh, Start With Why thing. So they've tried to approach it in a way that gamers deserve better than what they're getting right now. So that's kind of their thing, the purpose for what they're doing with the company. We're not going to follow the fad. We're going to create something original that really delivers for the players. So in any, any way, when they they have a new team coming in that's making games, uh, they're hiring people, they're building games, they can always lean back towards that purpose. And I think that really builds a strong culture uh, as long as you're keeping that up and you're not neglecting what you, why you started the company, what you set in place with the values, with the purpose. I hear a couple of things there. One, there's an understanding of the shared values among the founders. Two, willingness to put time into that. And three, go beyond just, I'm making a game because I love making games. If you're thinking about the team that just you know wants to make games, then that purpose is something that they're not thinking about specifically because they're skipping that part and they think that the culture will come out of whatever you know games they make and whatever so i, I think the strength comes from thinking about these things when you're still few few people in the room what are the practical ways you've seen like companies that invest in strong culture and, and execs that spend time on that and like do those millions of little calibrations every day how are those companies better off? When there's hard questions, what do we share with the company, with the team, with, with people? Like, how do we communicate? Like, wh what is the right thing 
when you have a hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. I think you can always lean back towards the, the values of the company. Like that's what, what the values are supposed to be. It's like a, it helps you making hard decisions. That reminds me, there, um, there's a Simon Sinek video, another one, where he talks about the idea of a value-aligned organization. And he's actually talking about countries. But he says, you know, there's a, if I have a country, it has a set of values and those sets of values help me understand how it's going to interact in the world. And as while it maintains consistency, it's a trusting, it's a trustworthy entity and I can understand it. And I know that even when it's tough, they're going to stick to their values. But when I see in his, again, countries, but in our case, companies start deviating from that and saying like, well, I know those are our values, but in this case, it's expedient to do this other thing just this once or whatever. When you see that suddenly starts undermining the trustworthiness of the company and undermining the culture Mm -hmm. that exists inside of that company. Sometimes we see very cynical development teams. And one of the things that we we try to dig into that and understand why, and one of the things that that often tracks back to is we have the values written down again on the wall somewhere, but like the stuff that we're doing and the decisions that we're making are actually not consistent with that. And we sort of know that we all feel that. And, and I, I think in a weird way that makes it almost worse you know, because <laughs> you're saying something over here, but what you're doing is different. So it's interesting to draw that clear connection between actions, like actions need to reinforce the values, right? Yeah. And you're in a bad spot. The market has changed. Uh, you're trying to figure out how you save the company and it's hard times. And then you can still lean back to those values and, mm-hmm. you know, explore what is the right call to go, keep going. Yeah. So in terms of putting a founding team together, there was something you mentioned a while ago, complementary skills, shared values, and ambition level. Ambition level is interesting. What did you mean and why is that important? I think there's there's a few different kind of gaming companies that you can go and, and start. You can, you can do a bootstrapped one where you're doing all sorts of projects that give you funding. Maybe you're doing Kobe development, you're you're doing a work for hire model. But then the other other is the venture backed model where you go and you raise from investors, angels, venture capital firms, where it's like equity based or project based financing or some, some sort of model like that. So I think the ambition level is like, do we want to grow a big company? And specifically, do you want to do it like quickly. Mm-hmm. So then you're looking at the investor route. I think that's what I'm talking about with the ambition level is how big you want to go. And you want to also ask, like, what is the route we want to take? And you want the founders to just basically be on the same page around that. Yeah, it matters so much. Of course, it's hard if, you, if you've never gone through the, the venture-backed route. You, you need to read my stuff on EliteGameDevelopers.com to, to really know what it's all about because it's not like, you know, you, you get to make your favorite game uh, with the investor money. That's usually not like how it goes. So I think that a lot of people, when they're going in and they're going, hey, I've got a game company. I want to found it. They are thinking of that through the lens of, and here's my cool game idea that I'm going to go. It's, it's so amazing. I'm going to convince investors it's amazing. And then I'm going to, we're going to go build it. I've got some folks around me and thank you investors for, for backing us. What's wrong with that assumption? My LinkedIn DMs are full of pitches from people who are doing their game that they want to do, specifically from that angle, like you just explained. And 
usually it's not that clear cut. Uh, there's the ones that get funding. Most of them have already taken the first steps to, to actually build the first version of the game and launch it, uh, get some some understanding if it works in the market, like an alpha build or put something in soft launch on Google Play or mobile, mm-hmm. or they've already started building a community for it on Discord or things like that. That's usually most of the cases where the investment happens, or there's at least a really good-looking build with a very capable team in place. So like, I think the idea stage can work, but then you basically need to show that there's no way this team can fail <laughs> in this, <laughs> this idea. So it, it kind of goes into that realm where you're, a lot of the, the gaming VCs are looking at 20, 30 pitches every week mm. that they could go through. The optionality is so huge. So they're definitely looking at, okay, we're going to invest in basically one company a month maximum. Uh, so if you get like 300 companies to pitch you every month, right. you're picking one out of 300. So it changes the dynamics there a bit to to favor the best possible pitches, uh, which then usually aren't, hey, I have a cool idea. And there's there's also these situations where, you know, the game isn't like the one that's been launched. It's not doing that well. But the investor might say, okay, this team is actually working, like doing all the right things. The game just didn't work. They're building the foundation. The next team that they put together, the next group of people who in this company make a game could actually build a hit because they have the right approach for making games in this company. Like I've seen a few of those where they've they've spent two years bootstrapping with like 10 people, for instance, and they've launched some mobile games, which are interesting. They're doing a lot of analytics, analysis, A-B testing, whatever. There's, And they talk about the right things of what they want to do next. So that also gives a lot of confidence to investors, even though their existing game isn't working. I kind of want to pivot over to product. We've touched on some of this, but like, what are the big things you look for when you're sort of assessing a leadership team's orientation toward product. Like this is, a, the, you guys are thinking about product in a healthy way. What are the big things that you keep an eye out for there? It's a really good question because it's it's really hard, one, to think about like what is the optimal way that the, the founders and leadership should be thinking about product. I think first, like are they looking at the market? Do they understand the timing of what they're, planning to build does it make sense because that's that's often something that you know you have a cool idea that you've been spending time on maybe six months 12 months already and things might have changed are you paying attention to what's going on what are your thoughts in the department of iteration and like iter- an iterative approach you said something earlier in this conversation which i thought was really cool about the idea of climbing a mountain. And the way you talked about that analogy was the conversation isn't over just because you didn't make it to the top on the first try. What's your personal philosophy on learning loops and things like that? I think the the founders that come off as people who are curious, I think that's the biggest trait that I'm super interested in as an investor when I see founders who are extremely curious of learning, 
and they they're ha- like you know they feel joy from learning and mm-hmm. discovering new things and also unlearning things that they they thought were <laughs> the way of doing things uh that one's the really hard one isn't it <laughs> yeah but it, i think that i'm trying to unlearn uh the mobile free-to-play user acquisition like mm. models because they're not working right now yeah, maybe they'll come yeah. back at one point but yeah that's that's uh, the fundamental of like how big games companies were built in the last 10 years were through this user acquisition arbitrage which yeah doesn't work right now in the biggest platform which is mobile where you have few billion people ready to play games but you can't reach them yeah so if somebody cracks that problem <laughs> they're probably a pretty curious person yeah you're just talking about for example how your sort of mobile mental model is outdated and i'm sitting here thinking like ben and i are pc guys so we're just yeah. like i i feel really we're, old now you know what i mean like yeah. i i i feel like i'm still trying to catch up to the mobile model of thinking I mean, we were digging our heels in at Riot on this for years where Tencent was like, please make a mobile game. Please make a mobile game. And we were like, mobile games are for loser casual people. Like we don't we don't make mobile games. We make PC games like for real gamers. <laughs> yeah, PC never went away in a way. Like yeah. it's always been there. Like with the existential crisis on mobile, it like makes you think. <laughs> And it's the same, like, I'm, I've been writing a piece about this, like how Facebook basically like destroyed their gaming ecosystem, mm-hmm. like when they had uh, oh, farm bills yeah. and everything, they destroyed it by becoming basically greedy with like setting up their own ad revenue mm-hmm. and Apple mm-hmm. is doing the same. They're destroying mobile gaming right now. So like you're, you founded this company, you found good founders to surround yourself with, you have different skill sets, but shared values, you've got the same ambition level, you're thinking along the same way. And now you've been doing this for like a year, a year and a half or whatever. If something knocks you off the tracks, what, what is it? With game studios, failure usually is that you run out of money before you find a profitable game. That's most of the time the reason, like the, the ways where it, it was more unfortunate was that the founder gave up too early, mm. uh, where they said that, okay, this is not something that they want to you know continue doing, which of course is fine. I, I think the investors should figure out when they're investing if the person is willing to, to go you know the long mile, all the bad situations and raising money again, diluting again, mm-hmm. like several rounds and still keep going, uh, losing team members, firing team members, it's tough. Startups are really tough. So if a founder says that they just can't handle it, I think it's the investors shouldn't blame the founder. I think it's more on the founders, uh, on the investor's side that they didn't do their work Mm. well enough to understand where they're allocating money. So it sounds like it's not that it went off the rails, it's that you're trying to find a profitable game before you run out of money and it's just not always going to get hard. It's a race against the clock, basically. Yeah, I've been there with my own game studios. The race against the clock is brutal. The worst <laughs> feeling ever when you're doing a startup. Like there's good times and those are definitely the bad times. Mm-hmm. And if somebody gives up, sure. I think it's it's kind of startups fail for several reasons, but they usually don't fail because they ran out of money, but there was there was some other reason 
that they couldn't raise another round. They couldn't you know, convince the existing investors to put more money in or the existing investors actually, you know, saying that if we manage to raise more money, like you guys put more in, but we're going to cut your existing ownership so that the, the company is still backable, that there's enough money, enough percentage with the founders. All of these mechanisms that the founder could go through, but if they if they gave up, that's usually the reason that the fund, the company failed and not running out of money. So that's then a subtle shift. We, you just kind of mentioned that like, hey, look, the reason a lot of these go down is because they, they run out of money before they find a profitable game. Yeah. And now you're kind of saying like, it's not that they ran out of money per se. They it's, couldn't raise more. They couldn't yeah. raise more or they weren't willing to do what it takes to raise more. That's you, you basically uncover the real reason underneath we ran out of money. Like I remember my first gaming studio where we basically you know, stopped existing because we ran out of money. But it was more about, it was 2011. We had gone through a bunch of VCs and we had existing investors who weren't willing to back us anymore. I basically gave up because I didn't have the capacity anymore to go through another route to ask. It was six years of trying to, to keep the company running with several funding rounds. So in a way, it, it, is, it was for me as well, giving up on still trying to knock on people's doors to get more money. It was just felt like it's not gonna happen because it didn't, it was so hard previously as well. So you get to that point where it's like a breaking point where you, you wanna give up. Mm-hmm. And that that's one of the things that can be behind like, oops, we ran out of money before we found a profitable game. Yeah. Are there any other major ones or is that the majority case? Like we just gave up, it wasn't good. Maybe a, like a key co-founder leaving. I've seen that happen where, you know, the CEO left uh, or the CEO had major health issues and couldn't do a startup anymore. So those kind of situations are super unfortunate. But it's again about like the founder not being able to do what they're supposed to do is to actually chase another opportunity with the company. What you're expressing is there's another path. The question is, do you have the energy? Because there's probably enough other paths that you're going to run out of will before you run out of options. I'm not saying it's a bad thing if someone chose to shut down their company. Maybe that was very wise, but it, it does sort of say, just so you know, there was more you could have done in almost all cases. Yeah, if you even think about some of these big startup stories, like there was one company that raised like hundreds of millions and then they ran out of money and then they closed down. But it was again like the situation where they could have gone to a you know, skeleton crew that continues working even though they raised 100 million just a while ago, now there are only five people in a garage again, mm-hmm. doing stuff, trying to figure things out. Like that dynamic should be possible. It's just people you know, involved who can figure things out. Like, do we want to still keep this thing running? And if everybody gives up, then you didn't run out of money, you just gave up. Yeah. Have you ever encouraged someone to like stop? No, to be honest. I think if I know that this team has given it all they can. It's up to them to decide if they if they want to close down. So I'm more challenging people to give 
to start off on the venture back path mm-hmm. with the idea that you really need to give a bit more than you can. Mm. Was there anything else that you wanted to dive into, Joachim, before we close up this podcast? Yeah, if, if people are, if you're not subscribed to my newsletter, so I, I'm sending that out every Friday. It's under EliteGameDevelopers.com where you can go and subscribe. So I write about startups in gaming from a lot from my perspective and stuff that's going on, um, analyzing, thinking about stuff through the philosophical lens as well. So a lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah, it's a, it's a must, like an absolute must. It's good stuff. I could read your stuff all day, um, and I'm just going to heap some praise on you so that these folks go actually subscribe. Thanks. Because uh, it's it's good. So go subscribe. You will not regret having that in your inbox every week. So Thanks. Thanks a lot. Here's a quick summary of what we covered today about game startups for your company. One, when it comes to selecting founders, make sure you create a team that has complementary skills. If you're all the same, your blind spots are going to be huge. Two, be intentional about your values and why you are starting your company right off the bat. If you are, your values will help you make decisions when things get rough and you're struggling to know what to do. Three, your founders should share similar ambition levels. This is key. It will impact how you decide to fund the company. If one of you wants to bootstrap things for a few years, but everyone else wants to get venture capital, that will cause a lot of conflict. And there are many other examples here. Number four, be clear about whether you want to be making the game or facilitating others making the game. If you just want to make a game, make sure you have someone else who can help you set up the company. Balance the business with the game development. Now, for your game, number one, Don't expect VC funding just because you have a good idea. Show that you can create a community or create a prototype or build an amazing team. VCs look at a lot of games every year. You need to stand out and you will stand out the most by proving you have something that players value or that works. Number two, most companies don't hit it big on their first try. So make sure to fail fast and learn. Don't overdevelop, don't overbuild. VCs are going to be interested in companies with good leaders and practices, even if they haven't found a success yet. Thanks so much for listening and make sure to check out EliteGameDevelopers.com for more from Joachim. Again, that's EliteGameDevelopers.com. If this episode helped you today, please take a moment right now to rate or review us wherever you're listening. Your support will help us bring you even more awesome content.